Today's scripture is found in Romans 8, 12 through 17. You can find it in your bulletins. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Even if I wanted to be adopted, who would adopt a 17-year-old? By the time I found out that she was up for adoption, she was dead set on, no, I don't want to be adopted. I need to just be realistic about my life and what my future holds. That's when she came to me and she said, would you be interested in us adopting you? Once I got into the family, my world started to change. My mindset started to change and my future started to change. She doesn't have to worry about I'm alone, no one loves me. What is my life gonna be like 10 years from now? She's just got normal worries that anyone her age should be having. I didn't think that I would have a family again. I didn't think that I would go to college. I didn't think that I would have love. And with that, I just feel like my world is just so much brighter. Even if I wanted to be adopted, of Macy. It's a story of her adoption. It's actually a story against all odds. Uh, you may not know this, but there's over 200,000 kids in foster care, and of those 200,000, there are tens of thousands who will never get adopted. Why? Because they're too old or they have special needs. And you heard a little bit from Macy's story that she was 17. She had given up on hope, she actually got adopted 51 days before she was to age out. Now, when she was in the foster care system, her needs were provided for her. She had food, she had shelter, she had medical care. But this is what her adoptive mom would say about the foster care system. And this is not bashing, but this is just reality. This is what she says. What it didn't have was more important. Even though she had safety in medical care, she didn't have love. If these children don't learn to function in a family with love, they will be forever impacted. When Macy was in the foster care system, she gave in to the brokenness of her life. When she was two years old, her father had died. When she was 11 years old, her mother passed away due to a drug overdose. She lived with a mother who could not care for her, could not make meals, could not get her to the bus stop, and she gave into that brokenness and began to rebel and act out in negative ways. But when she was brought into this new adoptive family, 
She began to experience acceptance and love and healing. She was no longer an orphan, no longer alone, and her fears were being calmed. And it changed the whole trajectory of her life. Being adopted for Macy is a radical new thing. It brings her into a family where she experiences love and it changed everything for her. Our passage this morning in Romans is about adoption. It's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us into a radically new relationship with God the Father, giving us a brand new identity as sons and daughters. And just like Macy, where it changed everything for her, it changes everything for us as God's children. Our passage this morning gives us three ways that it changes us. First, our commitments are transformed. Secondly, our hearts are secured. And lastly, God's love is truly felt. Our commitments are transformed, our hearts are secured, and God's love is truly felt. So let's look at that first point. Our commitments are transformed. You'll see this in verses 12 through 14. First, I want to point your attention to verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So if you are a son of God, you are led by the Spirit of God. If you are in God's family, if you are an adopted child into God's family, you are led by his Spirit. We hear this term often in our culture, being led by the Spirit. And oftentimes when you hear it being used, it's being used to say, the Spirit led me to fill in the blank. Marry someone, be in a relationship, get a certain job, move to a certain city. We think of it in that way. What is God's will for our life? It's actually one of the questions that pastors get the most. What is God's will for my life? And his will is not yet revealed to his children regarding that specific question. But, but God's word, his scripture, gives us his will over and over and over again. It's his revealed will. In 1 Thessalonians 4, did you know that it says that our sanctification is God's will, meaning becoming more and more like Jesus, being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, is God's will for our life. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says that giving thanks in all circumstances is God's will for us. We saw some scriptures this morning which indicated that to walk as children is God's will for us. To bear fruit is God's will for us. To abide in Jesus is God's will for us. In other words, Scripture has given us over and over many different ways in which we are to carry out God's will. He has revealed his will to us. And let me encourage you this morning, if you find yourself waiting on the hidden will of God, what he has not yet revealed to you, would you focus and, and go into God's word and see all of the different ways that he is directly showing you Shining in the light, this is my will for you. This is my will for you. He has shown you what his will is. In our passage this morning, it's going to give us two ways of what it means to be led by the Spirit. And it's going to upend a little bit our notion of what it means to be led 
by the Spirit. And I say this by that little word for in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It's connecting the prior two verses, 12 and 13, to this idea of being led by the Spirit. And so here's the first way that you are led by the Spirit. And you're going to see it in verse 12. Being led by the Spirit is recognizing that you owe nothing to your old way of living. You owe nothing to the flesh. Verse 12 So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. He's telling you that to be led by the Spirit of God is to realize that that old way does not have a hold on you any longer. Your old sinful way, you are not beholden to that any longer. You have no obligation to satisfy the flesh any longer. There is nothing left there for you. Living in the flesh is living in a way such that you're, you're turned inward. You're focusing only on yourself, and that only leads to death and decay. But what, does it, what, what the scripture is implying by saying that you are not a debtor to the flesh is it's implying that you are a debtor to the Spirit of God. So in other words, we owe nothing to the flesh, but we owe to the Spirit. Now this is not a debt that we can actually fulfill or pay. When you think of the gospel and leading up to this unpacking of the gospel through the first seven chapters of Romans. What God has done for you in Jesus, that is not something that you can repay. But it establishes in your heart new commitments, new privileges. That you are now a children of God. You're a children of God. You're a son and daughter of the king who is your father And you have privileges and commitments that are new, living in this new family. You know, I think about what my life would be or who I would be if Jesus did not call me into his family. That he had saved me from death. He had saved me from a life of destruction and decay. And he's brought me into a life of flourishing. And the question for you is, if you are in Jesus, has Jesus made a difference in your life? Can you look at your life and think back, have you you done this thought about where would I be without the Lord? What kind of life would I be living without the Lord? Who would I be? What person, what type of person would I become? Being led by the Spirit is saying that that old flesh, that old person is dead. No longer do I have to serve it. Secondly, I want you to see that being led by the Spirit of God, which is the same as being a child of God, is to kill our sin. We see this in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Put to death the deeds of the body. That word in the Greek, tanatal, means to kill to utterly stop the life of, to drain all the life out of. It's to wage war against sin. It's what theologians call mortification. Mortification, to kill 
our sin. Note also that it is in the present tense, meaning this is an activity that we ought to be presently engaged in. It's a continuous activity for the children of God to be engaged in. You know, Paul talks about the positive side of this in 1 Timothy verse four, chapter 4, verse 7, where he tells children of God to train themselves in godliness. Train yourself in godliness. Now that word train, you, you should be very familiar with that. That's, that's what we use to describe athletes. And Paul, even in 1 Timothy 4, the next verse, he talks about physical training. Physical fitness in America is a big thing. We spend money on it. We schedule time for it. We, we expend tremendous effort towards it. And, and if you look at an athlete when they're training, you can see them straining, putting forth much effort. And so we ought to examine ourselves. Are we putting this sort of effort towards our spiritual health? Or are we only putting it towards our physical health? Are we putting it towards spiritual things? Or are we worried more about our looks? Are we spending more time looking in the bathroom mirror? Or are we looking in the mirror of God's word shining on our hearts? To kill sin is to actively engage in this effort. And I'm using the word effort on purpose. Dallas Willard is an American philosopher, and this is what he says. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. This is a distinction that we really have to get into our minds as children of God. See, our place before God is secure. We, we don't earn anything before God. But as children of God, there is an obligation of being in this new family. It requires effort. And so we're obliged by the Spirit to live in this way, not to earn our place in the family of God, but because we are in the family of God. It's about who we are. This is who we are as children. This is what we engage in. This is what we are committed to. And in verse 13, I, I want you to see this is an activity that we engage in by the Spirit. By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. We kill sin by the Spirit. In other words, it's not us alone. It's not the Spirit alone. We kill sin by the Spirit. Think of it this way. In your war against sin, God has given you the greatest resource possible in this fight. He has given you himself. Isn't that amazing? We have everything we need to wage war against sin because he has given us himself through his spirit, meaning we have all the power, we have all the resources necessary to mortify, to kill, to put to death sin. And so to be led by the Spirit is to be committed to killing our sin. Now, I know you've heard people say, the Spirit led me to do this or that or move here or there. You've probably never heard someone say, the Spirit led me to put to death my ugly sin. <laughs> but that's what this passage is talking about. To be a child of God is to be led by the Spirit, which is to say, 
that old way of living, I have no obligation to anymore, but now I'm committed to a new way of life and flourishing. And part of that is putting to death the thing, putting to death sin, which is that old life that brought decay. Ray Ortland says this of mortification. He says, it is a determination to stop dying and start living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. What are you committed to? Living or dying? A life of flourishing or a life of decay? And what we have in just these first opening verses is the Spirit of God leading us in a new way of life, showing us that to truly live, we have to die. To truly live, we have to die to sin. We have to die to self. That's what it means to be a child of God and to be led by the Spirit of God. You heard in that video, Macy had given up on life. She had, she had given up on dreams of college. She had given up on a future. And she had given in to that old way, acting out, rebellion. That's her old life of brokenness. But did you hear what she said? Once I got into the family, my world started to change. My mindset started to change. My future started to change. I didn't think that I would have a family again. I didn't think I would go to college. Adoption transformed Macy's commitment. You didn't hear the end of the story. She actually went on to, to college. She got a degree in college. She left that old brokenness behind, and she embraced a whole new future. And when we are adopted into God's family, it transforms what we are committed to. It changes what we are dedicated and devoted to. And one of those things is looking at that old way of living, the sinful flesh, and saying, I don't owe it anything any longer. God has given me a new way to flourish in life. And that incorporates effort and being sanctified, following the Spirit, killing our sin. Secondly, the second big change is, I want you to see in verse 15, that our hearts are secured. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have a brand new identity as sons and daughters of our gracious Heavenly Father. And what does it do? It secures our hearts. In this one verse, Paul is contrasting two different relationships. That one relationship of being a slave in a household to the relationship of being a son or daughter in the household. And, it's, and he's saying that you are not like that slave or servant any longer. You have been brought into the family. You see, a, a slave, his relationship with the master of the household is determined largely by fear. Fear of not meeting some standard. Fear of not getting something done. Fear of being sold and given away. Fear of, of punishment. Fear of disapproval. But that's not what we experience being brought into God's family, just the opposite of fear. But even as God's children, we can have similar fears. 
as that of a slave. You know, I had a boss once, um, and I think I've told this to you before. His, his view on people's motivation was very reductionistic. He said people are either motivated by fear or greed, right? Well, I think there is some truth in what he's saying. There's definitely truth in being motivated by fears if you would even consider in your own life what fears you have and how they control you. What you do or don't do, what you engage in, what you disengage from, how it controls your decisions even. You might be fearful of someone's disapproval or fear of failing, fear of looking foolish or not being enough or not even having enough money. But the scripture is encouraging this, us this morning. We are in a new family. And in this new family, our hearts are secured by the love of God because we are in a radical new relationship with the Father. Verse 15 says, we can call him Abba, Father. And you may know by studying the Bible that this is an Aramaic word, Abba, Father. Abba, and the closest thing that I can think of in the English language that, that we can translate that to is daddy or papa because it was used by little children to, to call their father Abba. It was a term of endearment, of familiarity, of intimacy. This, the, these are actually the words that Jesus used when he prayed to his father. He used this in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was, when he was in agony Abba, Father, if it's your will, Daddy, Papa, if it's your will, take this cup from me. And here the Spirit has brought us into this new relationship where we too can call God Father. We can call him our Abba, Father. And I want you to realize that this, this is radical. This is a radical departure from what the Jews at that time would have known. It would have blown the disciples' minds to hear God, God the Son say, Abba, Father. And that he would instruct the disciples, this is how you pray, our Father. It was unknown at that time. And what we have here is something radical for us to, to marinate in. That through Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing us into union with Jesus, we are now brought into this new relationship where there is intimacy, where there is nearness, where there is familiarity with God, our gracious Father. And I know that for some of you, as you think about this idea of God being a loving father, God being a loving daddy, this is not your own experience. You experience just the opposite with your own earthly father. And in fact, all earthly fathers fall short of our perfect heavenly father. They're a mere shadow, but our father in heaven, he's one who looks down upon his children the same way he looks at Jesus. Same way he looks at Jesus. The Spirit has brought us into union with Jesus. So when he looks down upon us, he sees his dear son in whom he is well pleased, in whom he is delighted in. 
And so when God the Father looks at you, if you are in Jesus, he can't be more delighted. He can't be more pleased when he looks at you. It's not going up and down based on your performance. It's not going up and down based on your obedience or how much you have killed your sin even. No. Scripture says we are the apple of his eye, Deuteronomy 32. We are the objects of his eternal and infinite love, Ephesians 1. We are the ones over whom he rejoices loudly with singing, Zephaniah 3. What I'm trying to get across to you here is Scripture is telling us about your heavenly Father. Your experience may have been otherwise with your earthly father, but let God's word inform you and tell you what he is like. Don't let your earthly experience taint your view of your heavenly father. All of the love that you can imagine that God has for his dear son, Jesus, is the exact same love that he has for you. All of the love. Not, not an ounce left. And that's hard to believe. And that is the good news. God's, God the Father, his unfailing, unconditional love, that is in this intimate relationship that we've been brought into with him, that is what secures our fearful hearts. We don't have to worry about punishment. It's been taken care of. We don't have to worry about disapproval. We stand and we rest in his love. But often that's not our experience, is it? Even as believers in Christ, we can often feel or act as if we are orphans and not children of God. So how do you know if you're acting like an orphan? How do you know if, you, if you're not acting like a family member? I want to give you some diagnostics. Um, these are not bulletproof, but maybe it's listen to them and, and think about your own heart, where your own heart is. If you're an orphan, you, you may give into your fears and become anxious, right? That's what we talked about. Being a slave in the household is being fearful. Think about your fears. Think about your anxiety over things in your life or a relationship or job or school or work or whatever it is. That might be an indication you're, you're living as an orphan, not as a child. It might be that you feel alone in what you're facing and you've, you've forgotten that you're not alone, that your father has poured out his spirit into your heart. If you feel alone, you're, 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 you're living like an orphan. It might be that you're reverting back to thinking that you have to earn your place with God, that you need to read your Bible more, you need to be killing your sin more. And that somehow that, that earns your position in the family. You're forgetting what Jesus has done for you and how he has established your position in the family. It might be that you feel unworthy, that you, that you don't feel like you matter at all, that you're worthless. That's living like an orphan. You've forgotten who you are to your heavenly father. He looks upon you, he sees Jesus. Jesus laid down his life for you. How much are you worth? 
You're worth the life of God's dear son. How about this? You need to be right and are not open to criticism. You need to protect your reputation. If you find yourself struggling with that, perhaps you forgot you have the best reputation possible with your heavenly father. You have the perfect righteousness of Jesus. You're living like an orphan. Or it may like, look like this. You're relying on your talents and your abilities. Or, or you may need to control people or circumstances or events. Or you're pretending to be someone that you are not. All of these might be indicators that you are living like an orphan and not like a child of God. Your heart is not at rest. Your heart is not secure. And so what's the solution? What's the solution? Well, I love the fact that Mark had mentioned the prodigal son in Luke 15. You may be familiar with this parable in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. The father had two sons, and the younger son, he, he wanted the share, his share of the inheritance now. And let me pick up the story after he gets the inheritance. In Luke 15, verse 13, not many days later, the young son gathered all he had. He took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he felt compassion on him. And he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. What is the solution if you're living like an orphan? You're living like the prodigal son, and what did the prodigal son do? He remembered. He came to his senses. He remembered his father. My father has all of these resources. I'm going to go back to him. The solution is to remember your identity as a son or daughter of the king, your gracious heavenly father, and go back to him. And you know what? The beautiful thing in this story is the father is not waiting there on the porch, waiting for the son to come all the way to him. He sees him far off, and he doesn't meet him halfway. He goes and runs after him, arms open wide. You're no longer orphans. You are Sons and daughters. We need to come to our senses like the prodigal son. Run to your Abba Father with all of your fears, with all of your anxiety, with all of your messiness and collapse upon his infinite, eternal love. It's a love that's not gonna run out. It's not gonna run dry. It's not gonna get used up. You can run back to him again and again and again and his arms are gonna be open wide for you. It's an everlasting, unchanging love. Thirdly, the, the last way that we experience change is that God's love is felt. 
Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, I love this, that we don't, we don't just need to know it in our heads and in our brains that we are children of our Heavenly Father, but we need to feel it deep down in our heart and in our bones. There's a, there's a few of you here this morning that are just wigged out that I, that I said that we need to feel God's love. So if, 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 that, if that wigs you out a little bit, substitute the word feel for experience. We need to experience God's love. And it's a beautiful thing that the Spirit helps us experience God's love. It bears witness with our spirit. It testifies as in a courtroom. It convinces us of the reality of God's love for us in Jesus, so much so that we experience it, that we, yes, we feel it. It's God pouring out his felt love into our very being through the Holy Spirit. So much so that, yes, if you are in Christ this morning, you can point to verses, you can point to the logic and the facts in Scripture that say that you are a son or a daughter of your Heavenly Father, but you can also testify in this way. I just know, I just know that I belong to Jesus. That is an experience, yes, it is something that we feel. You know, once Macy was adopted, and you caught a little glimpse of it right at the end there, she began to feel love in that new family, and it changed everything. This is what she said, I love it. I didn't think I would have love and with that, my world is just so much brighter. She, she not only just had these adoption papers, these legal proceedings, these facts that said that she was in a new family, she began to experience the love of her parents, of a new family, of a radical new relationship, and it changed everything for her. And that's what I want you to see this morning in these very few verses, that the Spirit of God comes to us, joins us to Jesus, brings us into this radical new relationship with God the Father in which everything changes for us. That old life, no longer, a new life of flourishing, a life where our hearts get secured, and a life, yes, where we truly feel the love of God. Would you pray with me? Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, how good it is that we can call you Father, Abba, Papa, Daddy, and that you call us sons and daughters. And we have been brought into this wonderful new relationship. And help us to live out of this new identity as sons and daughters of the King who is our Father. To live boldly in life that is flourishing, turning away from our sin. And I pray for the one here this morning who is yet to experience such a relationship that can be so securing, that can be so fruitful, where they can actually feel an unconditional unfailing, steadfast love, I pray for that one, that you would soften their hearts, beckon them to come to Jesus by faith. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.